Closing doors, please. Coming to you from GGV Capital. This is evolving for the next billion, where we interview local champions and global giants in tech industry who are shaping the lives of the next billion internet users. My name is Hans Tong. I'm a managing partner at GGV Capital, and I've been working at and investing in startups across the U.S., China, and other emerging markets for the last 20 years. My name is Rita Yang. I'm the marketing manager at GGV Capital. On this show, you will hear stories about ambition, ingenuity, and resilience unfolding every day from Singapore to San Paulo, Beijing to Bangalore. We also recommend you to join our listeners community on Slack, WeChat, and WhatsApp, where you can connect with like-minded people and attend our offline events across the world. You can join by visiting nextbn.ggvc.com. Today on the show, we have Dane Atkinson, CEO and founder of Odeco. Odeco is a hidden platform supporting thousands of coffee shops with the technology once only held by the public giants. Odeco's vision is founded on the belief that it will support multiple facets of small business operations in order to increase their revenue, lower their costs, and reduce their carbon footprint. From supply procurement to online ordering, as you say, Dane, front of house, middle of house, and back of house, Odeco will build technology that connects an existing network of small businesses under a single brand. Odeco is a GGP portfolio company. Dane's a serial entrepreneur who started his first company at the age of 18. Since then, he has built a successful career running tech companies, mostly in the SMB tech space, such as Squarespace, Summo, and obviously now Odeco. Dane was the CEO of Squarespace from 2007 to 2011. He also served as a board member, mentor, advisor, and investor to numerous other companies. Welcome to the show, Dane. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I love you guys. Thank you. We, we, we have Irving from Ambari to thank for to connect us in the first place. We do. I think Irving's in an episode a few way back. He's, uh, he's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, we're looking forward to having you on the show as well. We, we can't help but notice that you know, they've been serving SMB um, businesses throughout your entire career. Where did that passion come from? How did you know that this is the segment of customers, partners you want to serve? Well, like most of your founders, I'm a bit broken. I got ADHD and I can't really do anything but create. It's, uh, it's been <laughs> a habit since being um, much younger than my first material company. Both my parents were artists. And I think somewhere along the way, I connected the fact that when you try to change the universe with your aspirations and your dreams, um, and obviously it takes blood, sweat, and tears, like that creation of a small business is actually art. You are making a community, making the world slightly brighter, um, and it's it's a telling of your own identity and soul, right? So it, it was clear that that's a community that I'm part of, that I'm stuck in forever due to my nature, and that really needs the love from the rest of the environment because. It is also the engine of society, right? 64% of the employed people on the planet are in small business. It's the driver of invention. It's, uh, I think, the spark of our culture. So I've been very lucky to have found that early in my life and get to spend my entire uh, life's energy on that application. So Now that you've been working with the segment for so long, what are the best and uh, well, less than optimal parts of, of working with SMB founders, business owners, and what's different today that makes this segment so much more attractive 
to go after now. I mean, well, in reverse of that, it's the biggest segment out there, right? Like it is, I said, it's responsible for more of the economics of society than anything else. It's worth the energy and the people that are behind it tend to be just phenomenal humans. And they tend to draw to their own business because they want to spend real energy, real commitment, everything they have behind it. It's tough though. It's a gnarly market. Um, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, they consume products as if they were both a consumer and as if they're the largest buyer in you know an enterprise, right? So you're simultaneously selling to the CTO of Oracle and to your you know 14 year old teenager, right? Like the, the necessity for your technology to be incredibly easy, beautiful, and friendly at the same time creating immediate value is a really tough span to cross. That said, though, they're really pragmatic, and when it works, it works. So you can have the opportunity to try and test and learn and grow. And when you find the formula that works, when you find that you're actually resolving something that they need and you've done a way that they can get at without a lot of obstruction, everyone jumps in, right? You get these growth curves that are impossible in enterprise because it's always related to salespeople and an engine, but in small business, when the formula works, the formula works. It just takes a lot of energy to get there and a lot of understanding and empathy for what that world is like. And you also have turnover, uh, customer turnover. The, the customer you have this year may not be around next year. So that adds to the complexity of serving. True. Them. There is some misconceptions though in turnover. Like everyone thinks, uh, you know, a single entity is an entity, right? And the way it, we're a part of fault of that, right? We count our customers' accounts or doors or whatever it may be. But the entrepreneurial spirit in the startup tends to not fade, right? Like if you look at the data, if you build a startup, a small business, you're going to build another one, right? Very few jump back into the enterprise. So if you just consider the relationship there last, and maybe one name changes on the door, but they're, they get, for the most part, hooked into this kind of world for good reason, because you are expressing yourself. You're, you're creating something, right? How can you not want to do that? It's true. Just like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the poster child for it. <laughs> so what, what, what's different now about SMB tech? Why is this suddenly uh, over the last couple of years become such a buzzword and become increasingly popular as a segment to go after? Well, I think it's a mixture of things. For sure, some of us have been lucky to build platforms of meaningful scale in the community. So I think it's it's made it clear that there is a real value to be done. Um, and the challenges that people have worried about have been succeeded in. I think COVID has also been a big shift, right? So um, as much as the enterprise has kind of moved along three, four years in their technology adoption, small businesses moved a decade ahead, right? The the things that they were trying to, yeah, they had to, right? Like the, I think one of the things that small business has over enterprise 10 out of 10 is their flexibility and adaptability, right? They tend to be able to shift very quickly and they jumped, they jumped to the end of the tech spectrum, right? So they want drones delivering coffee and they want spaceships doing things. They're, they're no longer back in the you know prior age. Um, and that's been great for the tech community because I think we're able to really provide value. I do think the tech community hasn't always done well by small business. So we have, as a class, not built the right kind of trust that, that community really deserves. So there is definitely hesitancy, but I think everyone has seen how a few businesses have really enabled the community through this last year or so. So it's a different time. It's a different time in small business for sure. Yeah. We definitely see SMB tech as, this, as the next consumer tech. Uh, especially in the U.S., um, as, as the iPhone penetration, smartphone penetration being so much higher than ever before, uh, almost all SMBs are on some kind of smart devices now. 
So there's a lot more service can be delivered to them as a result. There. I mean, that's our design, right? Like you should be able to run your business from, you know, the subway on your way in. Like it's just the way the world works. Yeah. You know, for people who are not familiar with Odeco and how you've kind of backed the small businesses and coffee shops here through and especially throughout COVID, can you talk us through how you work with a coffee shop and how would a cafe be, you know, with or without Odeco? Sure. Well, so I think your audience here is pretty technical. So let me frame it up in a way that I think they'll get. Um, so in our community, in the technical community, that is, we have seeing the infrastructure play over and over again, right? So um, when I was lucky enough to be building Squarespace, we had an incredible data center and that was part of our value proposition, but it took a huge amount of energy and we didn't win because your site was up. We just lost if your site was down. Um, same thing for like Shopify. When you were in the old days of building an e-commerce site, you didn't win because you could run a credit card, but if you couldn't run a credit card, you're out of business. Um, that doesn't exist in the real world, right? The coffee shop doesn't win because its people are paid. They're not winning because they got milk on the shelves. But if they don't have milk on the shelves and the people aren't paid, they're out of business. So they, they need to abstract that problem away. They need to be able to focus on the problems that really matter. And they need to have that, you know, just function. So from our point of view, we think there's a need for there to be a Starbucks or a, a franchise model that has been out there for forever and only exists inside the enterprise as an open SaaS for everybody else, right? They should have the ability to just take those problems away and focus on things that matter. So from like the way you're framing it, Robin, a coffee shop on us, you know, is a wildly different world. Like in the old world, they would have to build relationships with, you know, 10 vendors and do account references and set up payment terms. And then have to phone the order in, you know, every morning for the next two days. And then the U-boat would come in at nine o'clock with the delivery and it'd have an invoice tapped on it. And then the collection call would come two days later and be like, why haven't you paid it? And I'd spend the Sunday night trying to figure it out, right? A small coffee shop had 600 invoices every single month that they had to figure out a process. Um, so for Deco, there's a portal, right? They they build their schedule for the month. They make small edits to it. It's guided by you know intelligent AI. Um, they press go, and in the middle of the night, like fairies, we load the store. They go onto their app and they decide to pay in one shot everything. They manage all that's happening. They see the attachment rates. They see the profitability. Uh, it's like they're on Starbucks, right? So the they don't have to worry about that disruption in the morning. They don't have to worry about their staff being trained on the ten phone numbers and you know call Susan, but then ask for David because Susan never gets it on time. Like. It all goes away um, and they end up having, you know, with all that, much less of a cost center, right? The small coffee shop pays about 35, 37% of their total revenue on goods. Um, and then Starbucks pays 21%, right? So when they come on us, they get margin right back in their business. Um, and there, there are tons of challenges. I and mean, this is why we fill the spectrum, right? Like they currently when a, a small coffee shop in the country wants to not have your customer come in, wants to order ahead, wants to be able to be on that kind of tech wave. They're stuck with either spending all their money on some custom developer or having someone shout through the window their order or, you know, doing some half-baked version on a, another platform that they're giving 30% away for, right? So we make it super simple. They just turn us on and a couple hours later, they can take in orders and pay 2% instead of 30%, and, you know, have that relationship with their customer. They need all of that. That again is not what's making them win, but when they don't have it and a customer wants to buy a coffee but doesn't want to go into a shop, with good reason this in this world, they can't. They just need someone to take those problems away. Yeah. Of the different subcategories within SMB, how did you decide that coffee was the first category 
that you want to serve. We had some good data from it. We saw a, a lot of commonality shop to shop. It's a huge category. It's uh, you know, 80 billion in the US, um, third largest commodity, uh, and it's very, very long tail. So there's less than a dozen chains that are over 100 locations. So it's almost entirely independence, a lot of similarity. I had also owned a coffee shop. Again, I have ADHD, so I've had bars and restaurants and clubs, but I actually had a coffee shop in Williamsburg, which was the hip place to have a coffee shop for five <laughs> oh, years. Yeah. And my coffee shop was a mess. <laughs> it didn't work very well because it's a really hard business. And, you know. If only you right. had Odeco. Oh, totally. I mean, you have no idea how much that would have actually possibly made it work because it's, it's really, really hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we picked it and it turned out to be really fortunate. I mean, it makes us look super smart, but the history is always a way that works. Like it's, it's a very durable industry. It has a very small skew graph uh, and the people behind it, I think more than any category I've ever bumped into and coffee shops are kind of the epitome of that in small business. It's this desire to make your world better. Everyone who goes in wants to express, you know, their Ghana history or the, the way they found the bean in Guatemala or make it a place that moms can come by and like they, they have a reason to make uh, their local world better. And they care and they care about the environment. They care about everything. There are such fantastic people in that industry, so deserving of the help and so independent in their backbone to try to do, you know, what's right in every choice they make. It's a, uh, we're at, couldn't have been happier for the, the choice, which looks great now. So again, I think I'm clever in hindsight, but a lot of it just had to do with fortune. It also helps to have Starbucks in the business because it kind of scares everyone to say, hey, we got to do better. Starbucks sets the customer experience at a certain level and one needs somebody to help them to get to that level. Just as in, um, you know, in, in pizza, Domino Pizza is so dominant, it gives a chance for Slice to be relevant. Amazon is so dominant, give a chance for Shopify to provide Amazon-like shopping experience to all the other independent sellers out there. So that definitely get everyone along, move along to aspire to do better. It is. And, you know, Starbucks, I think, is a fantastic business and what it did for the community and showed that this, could, this space could exist. And the same thing for Domino's. But the richness of an individual caring in that space and the ability to actually not pay 18 cents for a paper cup that you are now, but the six cents Starbucks pays, I think is where they can actually really wow. succeed. Yes. How did you evolve into Odeco from Samal? When we first met you, you were still Samal. <laughs> <laughs> I could really remember that phase of paperwork. Yeah. I mean, it's only two years ago, but it seems like a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Samal was wonderfully missioned in trying to provide analytics to small business. Again, everything I've done is for small business. And we felt that the enterprise was stealing the data from small business. We wanted to free it. Um, we had a half a million small businesses on the platform and incredible amount of tech, um, but we didn't internalize how hard it was for small businesses to use that data and be effective with it. Um, so when we, Square was one of our early partners and we saw this incredible penetration inside of uh, coffee shops as well, but inside of the QSR uh, and it gave us kind of the end of a machine learning script. Um, so we started throwing all the rest of our cloud of data, which was social check-ins and street traffic and everything else. And, uh, our very first initial drive, which thankfully you guys dove in with, could not be happier to have you as investors. Literally the best I've had in my career, which is super old. Got all the gray hair from doing this for a very long time. Um, <laughs> we could predict the future of a coffee shop with like 90% accuracy, even in the first months, uh, which from just a waste standpoint and optimization standpoint, I was like, okay, we have enough here that's not existed in that space that we should be able to do some good. 
Um, then as, as you both know, we dove into the coffee shops and like, oh my God, this is on fire. Like the problem's so much bigger than accurate prediction. Uh, but it's where we started. Um, and we're really happy to have the chance to, uh, you know, take that story and, and find a really meaningful impact success out of it. Yeah, I want to do a double click on the number you cited earlier, which is um, sm small independent coffee shops pay 18 cents for a cup, um, whereas Starbucks pay six cents um, per cup. And can you share a bit more how you can leverage your economies of scale to help the coffee shops to save more and be more efficient? I mean, when you think about it, the, the small coffee shop, right, the Everyman Coffee, it's two locations. They had to build Starbucks. They had to build their own supply line. They had to build their own procurement infrastructure. They had to build their own payment infrastructure. And the community that decided to service that was all micro as well, right? So you'd have little bakers sitting five miles away, and they had to build their own payment infrastructure, and they had to build their own delivery infrastructure, and they build everything themselves. So that inefficiency, that bullwhip is kind of getting worse and worse and worse, even for like the farms, right? The farms who had to build a distributor relationship and a sales relationship and everything else. Um, so where we've been able to fit into that equation is much like Starbucks is we've consolidated the buying for all these shops, thousands and thousands of shops, which has given us obviously the ability to negotiate at the very source, whether it's a farm or Oatly or something else, a, a fair price, a price similar to what Starbucks pay. But then I think the other real improvement we have is our model is so much healthier, right? So instead of there being this kind of bullwhip chain of the shop guessing how many customers are going to come in, and the vendor guessing how many you know, orders the shop's going to make, and the farm guessing how many you know, gallons the vendor's going to ask for. We are the system. So we can say we can take one truck into the city at night with all seven deliveries that were historically there, all seven drivers that used to do the same route is now one driver. We can make it so the baker doesn't have to go and sell every coffee shop. They just have to be part of our platform. The baker doesn't have to hire someone to track down those invoices from every coffee shop. They can just get paid by us every week. So we've, we've made the model vastly more effective and made every player in the model happier, right? Like there certainly are some middle distributors who really jack that price up and account for like six cents out of that cup. Um, but at the end of the day, the being where you're just directly connected the bakers make more money because they've lost all these cost centers and they take so much stress off their life and are driving around the middle of the night trying to make a delivery because the guy in the van called in sick. They can trust an infrastructure to make it work. They can make a great new product. Um, all that has made the costs you know, drop materially for the shop. And we you don't get down to the six cents of Starbucks, but from the standpoint, if you're an independent shop, it is a night and day equation. And even if you're a chain, we're definitely much more cost effective. Um, and like for New York, which is our starting market, we are their poster child for environmental impact, not in all the other things we do, but just literally that we have reduced the traffic. I think they worked out to be like 3000 trucks a day are no longer driving in city streets because uh, they're coming in, you know, us at night. And we're, I think in New York city, we're doing like 750 coffee shops a night. It's twice the amount of Starbucks. Um, and it's healthier, right? It's, it's our load in times are super fast. It's all designed for this one kind of customer. We're not trying to do a U.S. foods truck where there's like hundred different variations. It's just, you know, we walk in, we put things in the fridge, put a little love notes and they come in the morning, they get a little email saying the store is loaded and ready to go and it's just a better life. Yeah. They don't come in or, you know, having to worry about which barista is going to do what, like while they're making coffee, having to handle delivery at the same time. <laughs> and as a customer, it's a, a better experience also. 
I think we forget how hard it is to be in that business so you get close to it, right? It's stressful when you walk in at six and you don't know if your store is going to be ready to go. And then you're waiting right. at nine for the milk to come and the milk comes at 10 and you've got a line, you've got a... Well, even if you have milk. <laughs> even, yeah, you may not even have it, right? And you're running out to the store to replace it because you, you it didn't happen. And like that, it's so much stress. It's so hard, yep. um, especially in a world where there's just so much challenges in, in being able to build a business. To know that, you know, as you hit the subway, you have a picture of your shelves loaded. And when you get to the store, it's going to be ready to go. It's, and you don't have to worry about invoices and taking a picture of the invoice for the, you know, the office later, like it's just there. It's a, it's definitely distressing. I mean, there's so many things we have to do. We're we're obviously very young and a lot to learn, but um, it's a, it's a state change. Actually, yeah. I think you would be happy to know that a few days ago, I went to Starbucks to order like a, a oat milk latte, of course. And uh, and in the yeah, app, I can't order ahead. On record, Robin, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you went into a Starbucks, like, okay, okay, experimental testing. It's all right, all right. And, uh, the, and they back. actually wrote in the app, like, oh, this location is out of oat milk. And so you know what? I was like fine i was i'll try soy milk right and then i get there and like i'm picking up my order from mobile order ahead and like next to it is like the barista making his stuff and like like a lot of cartons of oat milk and i was like wow even starbucks can get this wrong (laughs) i mean it's not anything to get right and it's it's impossible if you aren't starbucks or on us right like the if you're using delivery roof for your deliveries they're not tied into your inventory right the, the no. benefit we have is that we mm-hmm. are your back end so that's everything we can do is informed by all the other choices you already made so your oatly will be there and it won't, or you won't walk in and be like oh my god there's all these croissants and no one told me like how's this possible <laughs> And just switch gear a little bit. During COVID, a lot of coffee shops had to close, unfortunately, especially uh, in New York City. Somehow you managed through it and then uh, grew quite a bit uh, this year as uh, everything opened up and now attracting more investor interest than ever. Can you kind of walk through and how you guys manage uh, to go through all that and come out stronger at the, uh, at the other end? I mean, these are the hardest times hospitality's faced, uh, probably in record history, even more than the, you know, uh, 1920s. It, it, it was apocalyptic. Every single shop closed. Um, we couldn't foresee the future uh, better than anyone else. And we became really critical in understanding the necessity for the role of being a partner for the community. We, we spun up a site and sold 50,000 cups of coffee to hospitals from shops that were closed and couldn't do anything and moved all the milk around so that it wouldn't get wasted out across New York City and uh, tried everything we could to help. But Every single shop um, on the platform pretty much had to close as pause and across the country dealt with it. And um, we were very fortunate. I, I don't know whether it's because we make such a difference or just the, the folks who joined our platform, um, you know, are, are great operators. But we actually lost only a little more than 10 percent of our shops to this. And the community at large and hospitality is, you know, 30, 40 percent. So it was, it was great to see them hold there. Um, we I think everybody else, we cut half our team and kind of buckled down, but it was nothing compared to our customers. I mean, I remember sitting down with a lot of our partners and they were like, yeah, I like go 400 people today and I like go 150. And um, I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily been rippled through how hard it has been actually for that community and how much they've had to fight. And people have thrown their savings and, and done everything they can to make it work. And on the other side, I think that, you know, those who fought through have become harder. The fires made them stronger. And they're, as I said before, very eager to adapt, 
you know, a smarter new chapter for themselves. And um, as the market reopened, we found a lot of folks saying, we just, we, we can't pay a lot for our goods and we can't build this all graph and we need to come back to a partner. So we felt, um, you know, pretty epic growth curve <laughs> from zero to 50 million revenue in six months. It was kind of mind boggling. Um, just as everyone was to move on to a you know, better system. Um, and now it's the inverse, right? So today we see on an hourly basis about 125% over 2019. Coffee is a very big part of society going back to itself. Shops don't have the kind of hours they used to have, so they're still a little behind what they were beforehand, mm -hmm. but they've done very well. Chains that endured our customers that fought and they did fight are now starting to all open locations and stretch back out and take advantage of the time. Uh, the shops that, and we've had baristas that were in shops that got closed and they come back and said, you know, where do you think we should go? Where should we open up a new location? So mm. I think that there is it, it, the hardest of years, hardening the community and knowing that they play a big part in the, in the local spaces and they all want to come back. And for us, it's been, you know, the, the most extreme roller coaster ride I've had, uh, I think that anyone's had just sort of <laughs> from the lowest of lows. And, yeah. and again, not to uh, kiss your asses on, on public record, but you guys were a big part of uh, our getting through it, right? I've had this journey before where investors are very fair weather and uh, GTV, incredibly, the two of you stood by me and us and said we would, we'll make it work. Mm -hmm. Like you'd be there on the other end and we'll make it work. And we actually raised money in the middle of the pandemic because we didn't know the future. And that was principally led because of your love of us and then the belief in the future. And I don't think we would be here if it wasn't for that. It wasn't for that kind of support along the way. And our investors at large were very, very fortunate. And I think the community saw there needs to be a partner like us in the future. And our, our shop stuck with us. And yeah, it's been quite a ride. I mean, you're, you're amazing. Your team's amazing. And you have a, a, an incredible board. So you, you have surrounded yourself with, with good, high quality people who want to support you. Uh, and Rob, Robin has been an incredible board member. Uh, for you in, in the process and it's just great to see you guys all grow even through the hardest times and what what did you do to encourage your team um rally them and mm. keep their spirits up in order to get through that dark period what are some lessons tips you I mean, can share with other ceos and founders out there it's kind of funny because yeah. people ask this a lot right uh, and it's a very simple answer we were in war like it wasn't, a, I remember hanging out with CEOs during the pandemic and they're all, you know, debating whether we do remote or we do whatever, but we really felt like we were at war. Like we were driving around, I was driving around a U-Haul truck delivering, you know, coffee to hospitals and everyone, our team um, knew it. They, they, everyone took pay cuts because our customers were dying. Everyone just said, we're going to fight. So our many of your team members got COVID too. Not yep. just, so, yeah. so many of our team members and so many of our team actually had people who passed because of COVID because it's just New York was such a, a tough, you know, epicenter for this. It was the Wuhan of the U.S., right? It was, it was really hard. I, I mean, we, we've now caught up to realize there's so many other things that we need to do as an organization just to make sure that we fit well into this new future. But I think really focusing on your customer, especially customer in crisis, was the trick. And uh, I had this happen before in the past where I've made missteps in a company. Thankfully, this wasn't my misstep. But you are at points where like, I'm by no means perfect. Not all my companies have worked. <laughs> but they're, they're, you know, the technique of saying, okay, we're at war. Like a lot of the, the, the softness that we, we encourage and a lot of the um, diplomacy and making 
mentorship, we just said, okay, we, we all have to buckle down. And that's not a bad tool for startups. There are times where you just have to face down a foe, um, make some marks on the ground. And we were super lucky, like the team we have and had are just extraordinary. And they were all game to, to take on a Marshall austerity plan and drive through for our customers. I, I couldn't be prouder of the work that everyone put through. And I think it resonated to our shops and we helped. Mm -hmm really show our future is designed around helping them and not, you know, taking advantage of any of these opportunities for ourselves. This is emotional. I mean, I didn't, you guys are digging deep. Like I thought it was going to be all like, <laughs> business metrics and, you know, market stuff. But uh, yeah, right. No, no, no it's, it's the human side of things that, that intrigue our audience. And those are the great lessons for other founders to, to take in. Got to make it personal and relatable. Yeah. I remember when you guys decided yeah. to take that pay cut, like the entire management team yeah. was like, yeah. I think there was a point where even you were like taking nothing, right? Just so that everybody can get support and runway. So yeah. that was, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, again, it would be easier for me, but all of our team sacrificed now, all the way down. I mean, even, you know, our, our everyone in the team took pay cuts, everyone in the team fought. And I get that. This thing is another thing as a CEO, and not to go down this road, but uh, this was an awakening for me many decades ago when I stood in front of my team and I had to let go of hundreds and um, I finally cracked and I was like, I need your help. And often I think CEOs try to burden the entirety of their organization on their, on their shoulders. And mm -hmm. the, the team kind of came up to me like, no, we're going to, we're going to work this with you. And I, it was like, it was weird unlock, like, oh, I'm not alone. And mm -hmm. um, I think when you're transparent with your team and you share the challenge is it's humbling how much humans want to fight together and don't want to be yeah. excluded from the hard choices and want to stand up for what's right. And uh, yeah. we did it in this case, but uh, it was definitely having messed that up in the past that reminded me that like, let's, let's fight this together. And everyone wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and you, you and your team made it easy for us to want to be supportive. We are here to do things in our lives to change, you know, the outcome of this planet for a reason. So don't, yeah. it's bad to get in the way of that. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why we're investing so much in fintech, uh, food tech in particular, some of the fintech angle to scale even faster, but it, it's a reason why we're doing that. It's, it's both, you know, great upside, create a lot of value, but at the same time, much better for our environment. This is much what our society needs right now. Hugely better. I mean, I think it's exciting that you guys have been leading that and a lot of the community sees that, you know, our creative engine of startups and technologists to help in fixing those systems. I mean, our, our AI cut 30% waste down just because it could predict that people aren't going to eat it at the end of the day, right? We're able to compost at the end of the cycle and take out mm -hmm. the waste and the food and put into donations. I agree. You can do things when you're, when you're taking a fresh view uh, the milk wastage, right? We talk to farms and they're like, oh, yeah, we can't even graze our farmers, our cows, because we don't know what the demand's going to be. So we're just pumping everyone at max, right? And like, oh, and actually, no, next week's going to be a little slow. Maybe you can you know, change that system. Yeah. It's better. Yeah, the amount of insights that you can gather, like up and down the supply chain, is, is transformational. Like, I know you started in New York and you're kind of like penetrating throughout. How are you thinking about reaching other coffee shops in other geographies? Everybody knows it's notoriously hard to reach SMBs as a sector, right? And like you spent your whole career doing that. And so like, what are some 
secrets and reaching them? And also like, as you're thinking about different cities or is it kind of, you know, what, what is that? What does that look like for you? I think for us for, well, there's a lot of hacks to the SMB. Um, one of them is don't hire a sales team because it's nigh impossible to make your CAC up TV work. You need to have some kind of machine. Uh, we are, we're very fortunate that we can kind of expand in our technology and our categories, but we're really focused on geography right now. Um, and we've been lucky to open up a number of other markets. Uh, we've been able to precede that a bit because our prices are just so absurdly good because of our buying power that we have customers that are buying from us remotely and we actually ship it, which is uh, horrible, but it's a temporary state to sort of develop these places. And we mobile ordering customers everywhere. Um, but for our, our playbook, essentially, is we come into a city and we get our infrastructure. We let the coffee shops there know either through our partners or through you know existing relationships. and. Uh, Stunningly, the shops prefer to order on a portal and have it all simpler. So we've been really fortunate in seeing, uh, you know, adoption in these communities work. And I think for us, is a, you know, it, we run into shops. I, I did a conference in Atlanta a little while ago, and there are tons of shops who are facing the same problems everywhere, right? They don't. We shouldn't. We feel an obligation to try to make that this available uh, as broadly as we can, and especially as a community, because the community is really standing back up. It's almost as if this there's a trillion dollar food industry rebooting from scratch, right? And you consider how big the category is and uh, being there with them at the beginning is a kind of uniqueish opportunity. So again, thanks to you guys and everybody else who supported us, we're, we're able to really try to boast up these different markets and, and make sure they start with advantage instead of spending the first, you know, two weeks while they're waiting on, you know, the vendor clearances and <laughs> supply line figures and applications actually start opening their doors. Having that portal like right in their hands is so convenient, um, just as they would now on smartphones, you know, order from Amazon or order from any app. Right? Like it, it is so much preferable than over the phone in a catalog. I uh, I am constantly baffled by the fact there's just not tech. Like, I mean, they're buying a ton. <laughs> it's a huge industry and they're doing it on the phone or through yeah. some old app, you know, antiquated system. It's, it took time. Like the, the picture of a, of an owner sitting on a laptop in the back in the bathroom, trying to randomly go through different sites, form portals, and <laughs> looking at the phone list is that absolutely true. Yeah, uh, and in this world where you can pretty much do anything on your device, the fact that they're doing that is uh, is certainly worth correcting. I hate to say it, but with COVID and so many shops being affected, people have hard to find people to come back to the service industry. It just everyone has to adopt technology and automate things and do more with uh, with, with with less. Without the aid of tech, it's just impossible to get there. And you're doing a lot for coffee shops. You're becoming more vertically integrated than ever in terms of services from logistics, uh, purchasing, uh, back in IT, to even front-end pre-order on mobile phone. Um, can you see a day where you will expand beyond coffee shops to any adjacent categories, or are you going to be staying in serving coffee shop for a long time? Oh, I mean, I have ADHD, and part of the reason you're on my board is so that I don't like try to make spaceships deliver coffee to the moon. <laughs> I don't want to do it to everyone, right? Like, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's very hard not to want to solve all problems at all times. It's an yeah. entrepreneurial, you know, failing. Like everything we see, we can be like, that's better. We can do this better. Um, I'm pretty, I, for for the category side, so it's a hack, right? Like we were limiting ourselves to coffee because we want to do it right. And if we do it right for coffee, yeah. we're pretty sure it's right for the ice cream shop and the juice bar and everything else. 
we do feel morally challenged at that. You know, we had a burger joint join on a couple of weeks ago and they did this like, I don't know, uh, Spring Street Burgers Dash coffee shop. And they hoped that we wouldn't notice <laughs> you know, the, the coffee shop would let us like, oh, of course, it's fine. Because, you know, but for them, it's like, hey, your paper is actually cheaper than the paper I'm getting from the local vendor. Like, wow. I would like to use you. And I'm like, yeah, it makes right. sense. So I think it's a, it's a really tough debate that we're having across the organization, having with you all, I guess, when right. is the right time morally, because they need help too, but also to make sure we do our job right. And then we've solved the problem uh, in the coffee category, which we haven't yet. We, we still suck it so much. It's such a, such a big space to fill into. But yeah, we, we're not designed to just to stay in this one community, uh, but we couldn't have gotten luckier with a, an audience to really start helping to start with. Um, and yeah, it will, it, will, it will have to be ice cream dash coffee anymore. <laughs> it can definitely be uh, everyone at some point. I actually want to turn around and ask this question to Hans as like, given that you have invested a lot in SMB and SMB tech and overall like GDB's investment thesis, and you spent a lot of time in other markets, um, investing in other markets from India, Southeast Asia to Latin America. Like, what are you seeing in the SMB side or food tech side that's worth investing in? And what are, what are you excited about? Yeah, you know, Robin, as you know, at GTV, we work in teams and we have thesis that are supported by multiple partners and increasingly make very global in the place that we invest. So on SMB Tech, I give our partners, Jeff Richards and then um, Tiffany Lock a lot of credit for starting and making that uh, practice known, launching the SMB uh, Tech Index, um, have a conference around it. And we have done a lot in the US with the, uh, the decos, the grout markets, the slice of the world and beyond food tech in other areas like home base and, and cure base, um, and, as well as workstream and others. So there's just a lot to do in, in, in the U.S. alone. Like, like we said earlier, is the it's, SMB tech in the U.S. is becoming the, the next uh, consumer tech uh, sort, of, sort of investment uh, phenomenon. Outside of the U.S., in LATEM, we're investing in Fubana, that's supplying everything to the restaurants in, in LATEM. Uh, Locky, that's on the disc side, uh, working with many enterprise customers for delivery. And in Southeast Asia, we have Tilio in Vietnam, in uh, India, we have Kata Book and uh, Udon that's doing a lot for the Kirana stores. And some of the co-founders of Udon are personal investors in Tilio. So you start seeing that a lot of founders around the world just compare notes with each other and learn from one another. And like Dan said earlier, just doing more to give back to the community and have all the founders get derived uh, inspiration, notes, uh, wisdom, uh, lessons, hard lessons learned with each other. It's just so good to see that within food tech, fintech, and these categories, that founders just learning and inspiring each other to do better and making the world better. That makes our job so much easier and so much more meaningful than, than otherwise. And still with plenty of upside and lots of um, battle being created both to ourselves, to the uh, stakeholders around us, and to the environment. So I, ca I can't think of a better way, a better reason to live this way and work this way and impact this way. Yeah. I'm excited so. that like we get to invest in this sector because it is the yeah. backbone of like all these countries, including America. And so yeah. it's around us every day. Yeah. And this yeah. is bigger than, anyone, bigger than any one of us. So we're so lucky to be, be part of this. As one of those, actually, with both of you on the camera, thank you. Like, it's really great to have 
concerted effort and the learnings we've met with your Indian entrepreneurs, we've met with your uh, Asian counterparts and have walked away with great, great learnings of just how this world works. It's a, it's a bit of a lonely job being a CEO because I'm not supposed to pitch to you. Obviously I do quite a bit, but you know, generally, <laughs> and you certainly don't want to do that down to your team, but being able to have, you know, other operators come and be like, oh yeah, trucks are a nightmare. It's going to be really rough. It's, <laughs> It's, it's, it's been enlightening and encouraging. You're like, oh, but, but you get through and you're the other side. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. We, we, we had a Miss Fresh um, COO uh, on, our, on our show. Oh, my God. Everyone should just yeah. stop listening to me in this and go listen to that because <laughs> she was phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> I cannot. Just from an operational standpoint, I think she quoted, oh, yeah, our per inch time on shelf is 16 seconds. And then a driver like it is. Jeez, <laughs> that down. It's crazy. And, and so and we, we invite all our food tech CEOs and uh, C-level officers to, to listen. You were there too. So it was so, so good to be able to share and for you guys to ask questions afterwards one-on-one with, with, uh, with, with her. And she was very generous with her time. It's, it is a uh, rare privilege and something that I think makes the whole community and the society succeed a lot more. And for some reason, it just hasn't been part of the history of this community. So thank you right. for, for helping us get that stuff together. I guess one last question before the quick fires that we have. Dane, what are you most excited about for Odeco this year or maybe early next year? Anything that you can let us know? <laughs> uh, we feel like we're just trying to hang out of the rocket ship. Um, but I think the, I think our effect is pretty interesting. You know, the, the world, I'm really scared of a world where you walk out of your, your house and there's a Chick-fil-A and then a Starbucks and then a McDonald's and then a Chick-fil-A and all the franchises out there saying we're opening up tons and tons of locations. Starbucks mm -hmm. wants to open 30,000 in the next 10 years. I think there's an opportunity as it would be in, in the way we can enable the world where, you know, if you're building an e-commerce site now, you just go and turn on AWS and you press a button. In the old days, you would be, you know, buying servers and all that work. If we can create this opportunity for people to say, well, I'm going to start a coffee shop and press the button and all those problems are away and they can focus on it, we'll have contended with that and I think put the culture of communities back in the hands of the communities and let them really thrive um, and, and hopefully be part of it. So we, we feel an incredible amount of pressure, you know, the sense that it's it, in our view, and maybe this is crazy, but tech needs to help this space. It's a better world when mm -hmm. it's driven by care and love and community. And we're part of that spirit. And we, we feel we have to try to do the better best we can because I would like to visit, you know, a town and, and see what it expresses itself in the small business and not what franchise, you know, corners have been snagged. I wonder if you'll have to localize your branding for each market and we'll see different colors everywhere again. I, I mean, yeah, we, we will, we're never going to put our colors no. onto, <laughs> onto anyone's door. We will be invisible. We are very invisible now. Like we're that kind of like unknown story. Um, and I think it's actually the right place for us to be. We shouldn't. It isn't our story. It's the story of the shop. It's the story of yes. the business. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, you, you, it was like kind of in Squarespace. Like you, you'll see that little square icon in a lot of sites. You'd be shocked yeah. how many sites are on on those platforms. But it's not. Yeah. It's not to own it. It's to make it happen. Right. Or Same thing for this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there will certainly be there'll be signs that we're there for sure. <laughs> and people will be paid well, and they'll and they'll have healthcare <laughs> and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be in everyone's face. Okay, we'll shift to the uh, last section uh, of this interview, the, what we call the quick fire. 
uh, section we, where we ask you a series of questions and you just share with us whatever's on top of your mind. I'll, I'll start first. Um, if you could have dinner with three people, could be present or in the past, who would they be and why? I am curious to talk about uh, uh, future with Musk for some odd reason. He's been on my head. Um, I've been reading all the Dune series again, so Herbert would be, I, I think he's had a better, it's insane. I, the it's writing there I reread just, it every year. <laughs> I am in awe at, at the ability to understand human society and its driving engines. Like, there's just really nothing there. It's it's fantastic. I would, I would definitely grind into his head for a long time. Um, and then I actually, before I got to all this, I did love physics. So um, the Hawkins and the, the ah. brains there would be quite a lovely. Uh, I don't think I get them, you know, they wouldn't be able to leave in an hour dinner. It would be a 20 course thing, but it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Makes um, sense. Second question. What is a type of small business you've always wanted to exist, but haven't seen yet? Oh, wow, that's a deep one. So I think that there's a, a lot of human behavioral changes happening uh, in the way we identify ourselves and also the way small business is orienting to that. I don't, like in, in my generation, because I've been doing this damn long, if you asked, you know, hey, Robin, who are you? You'd be like, well, I, you know, I work at GGV and I make investments. And now if you ask somebody who they are, it's I'm a Birch customer. I, you know, mm -hmm. love Game of Thrones. I went to Kilimanjaro last year. Like it, I think people are identifying with their experiences more than they are identifying with their achievements or possessions, right? It's no longer mm -hmm. I live on, you know, this giant street. Um, and I think small business is shifting quickly to that. But I think there's an opportunity for, and you see in the brands that are very successful there, they're connecting themselves to the lifestyle and the, and the story behind people. Um, and the more fully experienced, existence right i think that the this idea of being able to go someplace and share collaborations with humans and be part of that community which coffee shops are the anchor tenant for but i think it's something that could be expressed through a lot of other ideas um hasn't really materialized in the street yet but i suspect it will because it's just i don't think anyone's I, no offense to starbucks but i don't think people want to say like i'm a starbucks you know addict right i think they want to say <laughs> i am uh you know there's a dinosaur store in the community and we get to put on costumes once a week and pretend we're dinosaurs. And that's my thing. And God bless it. That would be great. Last question would be, what is a habit that changed your life? And uh, what, what kind of, uh, since you've been the founder of Souls for long, what would be one piece of advice that you will want to give to other founders out there? Well, so I'm, I, I think all of us are hacking ourselves all the time. It's all the only tool we have is our brains, right? So um, I think, Early on, maybe it's not a good habit, but I very quickly got into the practice of running to things I don't like. Um, when I was young, I was running an ad agency as a teenager. Longer story on that one. Um, but I hated firing people. Super, super hard. So I went to the overlords that controlled the agency. I was like, can I? And I think I was like 16. I was like, can I fire everybody? And they're like, yeah, sure, you can. So I let go of a lot of people um, and sort of got comfortable with the area that I disliked the most. I think that there's a... As a founder, building the ritual to try to, you know, get stronger and improve things you're bad at is uh, really, really helpful. <laughs> it's a good hack. Don't just worry yeah. on your, don't just keep building on your strengths. You still have to work on your weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, the, the Bruce Lee <laughs> thing makes sense, right? If you want to minimize your strengths and strengthen your, your greatnesses. And, and another thing, people, from the advice to other founders, 
especially first-time founders, because I did the same thing. When I created my first company, I felt like I'd you know, taken a knife and cut my soul out, and it was now right here, and it existed, and you get very, very protective of it. And I made a lot of this. I lost friends and all things. I, I thought that was my soul, and why would you give up 10% of your soul? Like, that's just crazy. Um, but after a while, you start to realize, like, this is actually a, a career. It's a world you can live in. It's, it's a, I overuse the pirate analogy, but I've sunk in boats and gone a rowboat and built into a fleet again, and I've moved fleets like... You meet people, you cross people, you cross experiences, constantly trying to develop long relationships with folks and develop yourself because you're, you're not, it isn't the, the shaving of yourself into the existence. It's this journey you're on. Um, so I think a, a lot of operators make, I think, very short term choices because of that uh, very micropic focus. And the longer you can make your horizon time, the easier it is to start thinking about Things that will come back and play and it's not a there are unfortunately a bunch of examples of like i started a company it's now it's facebook and like that does happen but most of us have had to make a hell of a lot of mistakes um and, and get grinded through to get to be halfway decent um and if you think of that on perspective you can actually get to be pretty good in time uh, and you make a lot of better choices yeah you also recruit and hire very well not not just the people who work before you but also people who work with you and your customers or partners and your investors and board. And that, that's something a lot, not a lot of people realize that need to take effort and, th and thinking and thought to do that well. It's everything. If you, if you have people around you who've been around you, like my uh, head of accounting, he's been with me for 28 years. I hired him when I was a teenager. And when someone else meets him, they're like, oh, if you can stick with this person for that long, then the guy's probably not crazy, right? And <laughs> you, you end up... You end up building, because there are a bunch of us that are totally crazy, you end up building a, <laughs> a, a kind of a community that supports you and it takes time and, and that pays off. This is just a better life, right? Like uh, we all have a treasure map. I try to sell you my treasure map. That's part of my job is like, look, there's a giant X and it's going to be a giant map. But in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to reveal the entire secret. <laughs> but that map is very small on the actual deck of our boat. It's there and we're all like sailing yeah. to it, but the journey on the ship and having the fun figuring out how to hoist the sails faster and all that stuff is is really what makes us worth doing and then we don't actually find the exit so we'll find your ex don't worry it's all good it's, how many maps we're, we're do we not know about it. you're hiding from us <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you so much for being here with us today thank you it was so much fun thank you both that's wonderful thank you for listening to this episode of evolving for the next billion if you have any feedback for the show or want to suggest a guest, feel free to email us at nextbn at ggvc.com. GGV Capital is a global venture firm that invests in local founders. With $9.2 billion US dollars under our management, we have investments in the US, Canada, China, Southeast Asia, India, Latin America, and Israel. As a multi-stage firm, we invest across three sectors, social internet, enterprise tech, and smart tech. Over the past two decades, we have backed more than 400 companies around the world, including Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, BigCommerce, BoxJiping, Grab, HashiCorp, Hello, Keep, Kujialu, Manbang, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, Xpeng, Zendesk, Zoyabang, and more. Learn more at ggvc.com.